What's up, coaches? Happy Monday to you. Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down. We are a podcast devoted to defensive line play, and we're so glad that you're checking us out today. We're Playoffs are in full swing here in the state of Texas as we are now in the second round this week. Congratulations to all you coaches whose programs are still playing. I want to give a special shout-out to Coach Jeremy Hickman from Kerrville Tyvee, Coach Aaron Now from Waco Midway, Coach Cade Lane from Cypress Woods, Coach Greg Frazier from College Station High School, Coach Ramel Borner from Duncanville, Coach Jay Jensen from Katie Taylor, my old roommate, Coach Neil Evans from Harding Academy up in Arkansas, Coach Sean Wynn from Galena Park North Shore High School, and Coach Eric Hammond from Katy High School, all coaches who have appeared on this podcast whose programs are still in the playoffs. Good luck, guys, as you continue your playoff run and what hopefully culminates in a championship. Okay, so last week uh, I told a story of my playoff experience as a coach, and I told a story from uh, round one of the playoffs since we were in round one last week. And so continuing with that this week, we're now in round two, as I mentioned earlier. So thought I'd start off today's episode by giving you a story about my most memorable second round playoff game I've ever been a part of as a coach. Uh, if you didn't hear the episode last week, you may be wondering, why don't you tell one about a time when you were a player, uh, you know, a playoff story about when you were a player? Well, the sad truth is there aren't any. I uh, never experienced the playoffs as a player, but I have fortunately experienced several playoff games as a coach. So today I'm going to talk about a second-round playoff game from when I was at Kerrville Tyvee, uh, and we were playing Georgetown Eastview, actually Tyvee's opponent last Friday night, whom they beat uh, in order to advance to the second round. But we were playing Georgetown Eastview, and this was back in 2014. So that season started uh, with a really disappointing loss for us on the road. Uh, we were a really young team, and we lost to, uh, to Big Spring. And uh, we really lost the game on a controversial call. Uh, we actually shouldn't have lost the game, but but anyway, uh, we really struggled on defense that year. We had a lot of young kids uh, playing in different positions. And uh, so anyway, we got better and better as the year went on. And really when we hit the end of our, our, our regular season, our defense was playing pretty good. So we, we got past our first round playoff game uh, with really no issues. And then that set us, it was a very strong Eastview team talented wide receivers and one of them I don't know if y'all remember this kid but uh, again this was back in 2014 uh, earlier in the season Eastview had a game where they were behind by I don't know a lot in the, in the first half and and uh, they came back and won the game really in miraculous fashion and after the game I think it was like a student reporter or something interviewed one of their receivers as a kid named Apollos Hester and, and in the video he was like super positive and and really energetic and enthusiastic, and uh, like he kept saying things like, they had us, I'm not going to lie, they had us, they had us in the first half. And it was one of those videos that blew up and, and, and went viral for, you know, a couple weeks or whatever. And so that was, he was one of their wide receivers, and, and, and I'm telling you, he was very talented. And, and, and we knew that we were going to have to play well against those guys because not only did they, did they have him at wide receiver, but they had another uh, really strong wide receiver, as I mentioned, uh, a great quarterback and a great running back. And, and so we knew going into that game that that our kids had a tall task in front of them, and we weren't sure how we would respond. And so the game opened up, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think they went on a long drive uh, and, and maybe kicked a field goal to open up the, uh, open up the game. Uh, and then from then on, it was pretty much uh, our kids dominating dominating them the rest of the night. We ended up winning the game 35-17. to 17. Uh, We had a pick six in the second half from uh, our safety, Preston Demery. 
who actually ended up playing his college ball in that stadium where we played. Uh, we, we were playing there at Bobcat Stadium there at uh, Texas State, and, and Preston is a, a safety there currently. We also had uh, one of our receivers, Hutch White, who actually plays for the Bobcats now, really talented receiver for them. But uh, anyway, it was just a crazy game because it was one of those games, if you've been coaching long enough, you've had hopefully several of these games where it just seemed like everything was going your way that night. And, you know, it just our, our kids played their best football and they, they saved their best football for that moment. And that was really a cool thing to witness, to be able to get past a team that not many people outside of our program gave us a chance to win. And so that was a really cool thing. And just another reason why the playoffs are so special, because as we saw in round one here in the state of Texas this week, you know, anything can happen uh, in the playoffs. We saw several upsets across the state. Uh you know, on all levels, and, and so that's that's what makes uh, playoff time so special because, you know, um, anything can happen. So that was definitely a memorable game and one that I'll never forget from our second-round playoff game there at Tyvee playing, playing Georgetown Eastview. So there you go. There's my playoff story for this week. Now let's get on to this week's guest. I'm really excited to welcome our defensive coordinator here at Pleasant Grove, Coach Clint Fuller. I've really enjoyed working with Coach Fuller this season and have, have learned a ton of football from him. He is a grinder. He's very meticulous and thorough in his approach to breaking down opponents and putting together a defense. And he also does a great job of creating the type of environment where you know all of us defensive coaches feel like we have ownership in our def- defense and, and influence on our game plan each week. So, so I really appreciate that about him as well. Coach Fuller grew up in Brownwood, Texas, where he played safety for the Lions before heading to Howard Payne University, where he played safety for the Yellow Jackets as well. Coach Fuller began his coaching career as a middle school coach in Frisco, Texas, before heading to Van Alstine High School, where he coached DBs. From Van Alstine, Coach Fuller went to Byron Nelson High School, where he coached his way up to defensive coordinator for the Bobcats. After his years at Byron Nelson, Coach Fuller made stops as, a, as an assistant at South Lake Carroll High School and as a DC at Grapevine High School before coming to Pleasant Grove as a defensive coordinator in 2018. Today, Coach Fuller and I talk about our 3-4 defense here at PG and playing multiple fronts within our defensive structure to help combat all of the different personnel groupings we see over here in East Texas. And then we get into defensive game planning and touch on Friday night responsibilities for our defensive coaches and how, how all those things come together to help Coach Fuller call the defense. So really some great stuff for you today, and I'm excited for you to hear Coach Clint Fuller on episode number 37 of KYPD. All right, well, Clint, glad we were able to do this, and, and I'm excited because even though we work together every day, we don't really get to just sit down and, and talk uh, ball like this. I'm excited that these guys listening get to hear what you had to say today. I love the podcast. I've been listening to it since, um, you know, we started talking last last spring and love the information. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to share, share some information today, and uh, it is nice to sit down and talk football and not have a and ends, you know, where you're trying to figure out a game plan, trying to get from point A to point C, and to be able to sit back and just talk a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So let's just start off with uh, you're from Brownwood, which is a uh, a traditional, you know, football town, uh, a lot of tradition and pride there. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Brownwood and just your journey through the game of football up to this point. 
Sure. Uh, Brownwood is, is very similar to, to Pleasant Grove right now. There, there's a lot of tradition there. Football is, is really, really important to the community. Uh, and so me growing up, I was a, a coach's son. Uh, my dad coached at Howard Payne University, and I love football. So Brownwood was a, a really good place for me because um, football was so important to, to the community, and it was ingrained in the culture. Uh, and it, it's really – there's a lot of parallels to – to Pleasant Grove right now, just the, the community supports us and, and loves us. And, and so, uh, growing up there, you know, being, being the son of a coach, I grew up in the field house, uh, actually grew up with, uh, Josh Gibson and, and Justin Gibson. Josh is the head coach here at PG. Um, their dad was a head coach at Howard Payne. My dad was a defensive coordinator. Uh, and they, they were like my older brothers. Um, we, we hung out together, got into trouble, um, and, and had a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, growing up in that, in that setting, um, you look at, you look at the players and the, and the coaches and, and they're, they were my heroes growing up. Um, you know, when I, when I was probably old enough to realize that I wasn't going to play in the NFL, you know, I, I realized I wanted to be a coach. And so I've just always had a, had a love for the game. always been around the game, played at Brownwood high school, um, where, like I said, there's a lot of tradition. They've won seven uh, state championships, and um, there's a great, great f- football culture there. Um, played for Coach Steve Freeman. Um, our defensive coordinator was was Darren Allman, who, who's kind of made a name for himself as a head coach um, after I graduated. Um, my position coach was uh, David Jones, who's now back at Brownwood as this uh, associate head coach, and they're having a really, really good season, which is which I'm glad to see. Um, you know, just being a part of that program. Um, you know, it taught me a lot about just things in life that would carry me through, you know, work ethic and, um, and, uh, unity, uh, and discipline and, and, and toughness because you had to have those things, uh, to make it through that program. Um, it was demanded of you, uh, on a daily basis. And then moving on from, from Brownland, once I graduated there, I, and I went to Howard Payne and, and played for Coach Gibson, uh, and, and my dad. Uh, and and played nickel uh, safety for for him and, and and had a good good career there. So um, that was kind of my story um, moving up through you know through the college ranks. Yeah, what was it like playing for your dad? A lot of us probably don't know what that's like or to, to have that experience. I mean, first of all, to be a coach's kid, but then also to play to play for your dad. What was that like? It was it was it was awesome. Uh, I mean, my dad taught me. He's I mean a huge influence on me as a person obviously as a father but uh as a coach um you know he he had a he had a tremendous impact on me i just remember as a kid you know hanging out up there you know got co- uh players would come by and they would say you know how what a great man or what a great coach my dad was and that always stuck with me and um you know he he loved kids and he loved helping kids grow um and, and so that 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 made a big impact on me uh and then of course playing for him he, he never was the type that was going to, uh, de- you know, demand things of me and, you know, be real hard on me. He was going to kind of give me, give me my space. He, he let Coach Kite, who was my position coach, kind of handle me, and, and he kind of gave me room to kind of be my own person. Um, but, but the whole time, you know, you're, when you have your dad looking over your shoulder, you're, you're trying to live up to, to, to his expectations and, and, and try to make him proud. And so that was always – my mindset as, as a player, I, I was never going to let anybody outwork work me. Um, I was always going to try to maximize 
my ability because I wasn't the biggest or the fastest or the strongest. Um, but I was was somewhat intelligent and had been around the game. So I tried to be, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a coach on the field and, and try to have a good understanding of what we were doing so I could just get myself into a position to make plays because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it with athleticism. Yeah. Well, so then was it uh, was it your dad who really inspired you to be a coach? And, and did you always know that you, that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I, you know, from a, from an early age. I mean, even even before we went to Brown at Kilgore, um, just just being around football and being around, you know, the the the, the camaraderie and and the friendships that you make. I just knew that football was a special thing. And you know, like I said earlier, when I when I kind of realized, you know, I was five seven and one hundred and thirty pounds probably wasn't going to make my way to the NFL or even a division one college. I knew that, that coaching was, was the profession that, that I wanted to pursue because I just don't think there's a whole lot of other pro- professions where you can, you know, make an impact um, like you can in, in coaching. And then, you know, the other thing about coaching is, is you build some, some strong relationships with, with kids, with, with guys on your coaching staff, with the community um, and there, and there's just to me, there's not a lot of professions that allow you those avenues for 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 those for those types of impactful relationships that you can make as a coach. Well, let's talk about some of the places that you've coached at, uh, and and a, a still a relatively you know young career. Uh, you really had uh, had the, the privilege of being at some really awesome places. So talk about those uh, those places that you've been besides uh, here at PG, and and uh, some highlights from those places. Okay, well, um, I started off as a, as a middle school coach in Frisco. Um, I was there for one year and then um, uh, got hired by uh, Brian Polk. Coach Polk hired me uh, as a DB coach at, at Van Alstine High School uh, and, and kind of gave me a chance as a, as a young coach. And then from there, he, he took a job at Byron Nelson High School in, in Northwest ISD over in Trophy Club, Texas. Uh, and I went with him uh, as a DB coach and then kind of worked my way up through um, through his staff and eventually became the defensive coordinator. Um, and then from there, Coach Polk took a job with the UIL, and I was kind of – it was kind of a fork in the road for me uh, from a career standpoint and, and, and was very, um, very lucky and very blessed to, to get an opportunity to go uh, to South Lake Carroll and, and coach DBs there. And I was there for a year and then um, went over to Grapevine High School as a defensive coordinator for a year and then – um, you know, that, that spring after I had been at Grapevine for a year, Josh, Coach, Coach Gibson called me up and, and, and talked to me about the opportunity um, out here at PG. And so it was a, it was a chance uh, that, I couldn't, that I couldn't pass down. So I made my way out here to Texarkana. I've been, been here for a couple of years. Um, you know, along the way, been, been lucky and uh, blessed to be a part of uh, three district championships um you know last year made it made it to the to the state finals which is all that stuff great but you know i think some of the some of the best things about about coaching are, are the, the relationships that you make um with, with your athletes and um and with your coaches and so some of those things are, are really the most special to me um and and so Wins and losses are great, but um, I, I really think the uh, relationships that you make are, are, are what, what really drives you as a coach. Yeah, so uh, talk a little bit more about just what, you know, because a lot of people, uh, you know, view, uh, especially in our state and, me, and even people outside of the state of Texas view, you know, DFW is kind of the mecca of high school football. 
And so what would, uh, what would draw you, talk a little more about what, what drew you from, you know, from being in that environment to, to East Texas uh, to, to, to come coach out here at Pleasant Grove? Yeah, that, I mean, I was in DFW for the first, you know, the whole first part of my career until I came out here to Texarkana. And, and there's a lot of good coaches in, in, in DFW, and there's a lot of good football players and a lot of good programs. Um, and, and when you're there and, you, and you're kind of, I guess, sheltered from the rest of the state, so to speak, you just think it's the end-all, be-all. It's the best football uh, in the country. Uh, and, and there's probably some truth to that. There are, you know, there are some really good programs there, and there's some really good football played there. Um, coming out to East Texas, though, um, it, I mean, it is. I mean, it, it goes pound for pound uh, with it with, with any other region in the state. Um, and there there's some big differences um, in, in in schematics um, out here in East Texas uh, compared to DFW, and and um, I think that's a good thing um, out here. Uh, you, you're going to see a lot more personnel groupings, um, you know, whereas in DFW, you're going to see mostly 10 personnel, lots of spread, lots of RPO, lots of zone, lots of stretch. Uh, out here in East Texas, you're, you're going to see that stuff, but then you're also going to see uh, 12 personnel, 22 personnel. You're going to see power. You're going to see a lot of gap schemes. You're going to see uh, a lot of different personnel groupings within one offense, uh, and then you pair that with, with the type of athletes um, that there are out here uh, in East Texas, it, it, it makes a, it makes it really difficult uh, for 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 defensive coaches. And, and I think the one thing that is a little bit uh, overlooked because uh, everyone knows that East Texas has athletes, um, but there's a lot of good uh, linemen out here, a lot of good offensive linemen, a lot of good defensive linemen. And so, um, from 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 top to bottom, from from program to to coaching to scheme to athletes, um, I think East Texas. Uh, is pound for pound um, as good as anywhere else in the in the country as far as high school football goes. Yeah, you alluded to it earlier, but I'm sure that the the opportunity to ch- to, to coach with uh, Josh and Justin Gibson, you know, guys like you said who are like your older brothers, to to reunite with those guys was was also a big part of that decision to move out here. There's no doubt, you know, uh, Josh's dad, Coach Coach Gibson. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, kind of in his program, running around the field house and. You know, uh, Vance has had a big impact on me uh, as a kid, you know, just watching him firsthand, how he treated his players and, and how he treated people associated with the program. Um, he's a he's a first class uh, human being. And then he's a really good football coach, very detail oriented, uh, very, uh, very, uh, I would say, advanced offensive offensive mind for his time. I think he was doing things ahead of his time. And, and he's a very humble person. And then you know, so so their dad just had a big impact. You know, had a big impact on me. And then growing up with Josh and Justin, I was the young guy, um, and so I, I looked up to Josh, Josh and Justin as if they were my older brothers. And and we ran around and, and had fun and uh, played played football and played basketball. And you know, we we've been close all the way through. And you know, during our during our coaching careers, we kind of you know parted ways. And I kind of cut my teeth. Um, on Coach Polk's staff, and, you know, he had a tremendous impact on me. Um, and then, um, you know, it just kind of happened where things played out, and I got an opportunity um, to reunite with Josh, and uh, it's been awesome. And, you know, Josh is a is an elite coach himself. I mean, I, he's one of the best head coaches in the country uh, at any level. Um, he loves kids. Um, he's very relational with the kids, with the coaches, with, with, the, um, with the school, 
uh, staff with, with the community. Uh, he builds very strong relationships. Um, and he's always striving to, to grow. Um, he's always striving to grow the program, to grow the school district, to, to grow uh, individually. Um, and so he pushes you uh, every day to, to be, you know, if you're on a staff, he's going to push you to be a better man. He's going to push you to be a better coach, just like he pushes our kids uh, to be better students and, and to be better sons and uh, better people uh, once they move out past the program. And then, you know, he's a, he's a really good offensive mind. And so it's, it's been really fun to reunite with him and, and Justin. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like old times. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely right about all those things you said about, about, about Josh. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, one of his biggest things is that uh, I, I think that, that us as coaches and the kids playing for him just don't want to disappoint him. And I think that as a coach, when you have that going for you, uh, then, then really, that's when when some serious things can get done because that's when accountability starts taking place, and and uh, then then you can really it really makes a, a a great work environment because you know we all want to do our best for him and for the program and for for the kids, and so that makes it uh, a really great place to come and work. Yeah, and there's no doubt, and and even as a as a guy that you know I've known him my whole life, I, I you know, it, it does motivate, he, he motivates me because I, I do want to live up to the standard that he set, sets. And, you know, he's the type of guy that sets a standard and he tries to follow that standard just like all of us. And, um, and so, uh, it's, it's been really fun yeah. the last couple of years. Well, well let's jump into uh, talking about our defense here. Now we are, uh, we're three, four and, and, you know, I, um, I have a lot to learn still about, about our defense. Uh, this has been really my first year in, in this in this type of scheme, um, so I'm gonna really let you just kind of take the floor here and, and talk about, you know, why you like uh, the three four and what made you sort of gravitate towards that uh, as you became a coordinator. Sure. Well, uh, it does. It does. The the lineage kind of traces back to my dad. Um, you know, he was he was actually started off in the first twenty of his twenty years of his career. He was an offensive coordinator. And uh, he, he flipped over to the defensive side when he went to Howard Payne. And um, he, he started off in a 4-3 uh, the first year he was there. And then he, he went to the 3-4. And um, I, always, I always knew it uh, to some extent. And then once I was got into his system, um, you know, he was, a, he was a very kind of progressive um, guy in, in the things that he was doing structurally and, and schematically. And he was always trying to do things outside the box. But the catch of that is he's, he's always sound in what he did. He always, you know, his big deal was always try to outnumber him by one. And so, um, you know, he was very detail-oriented. He never left any stone unturned. And so th- those things had a big impact on my, my, my philosophy um, as a coach as I developed. And then, you know, as I was at Byron Nelson as a position coach, um, I really kind of, um, you know, that's really where I kind of cut my teeth and, and kind of grew as a coach. Coach Polk had a tremendous impact on me, um, you know, with with his leadership and and, and even just giving me an opportunity um, to work up through his staff. But um, there was another another coach, another young coach on that staff named Neil Tweedy, uh, and he, and him and I were very similar. We were very passionate about football, kind of football nerds, so to speak. But you know, he played at the University of Texas and had won a national championship uh, with Vince Young, and then and then um, GA for uh will muschamp for two years and so he was a, he had a 425 background and i had a 34 background and 
So, um, you know, he got hired after I did and, and we quickly became friends. And, um, for like two years, we would meet almost every morning in the off season, um, like five 30 in the morning and just break down offenses and do sell scouts and put together different defensive structures and, and argue back and forth about schemes, rules and philosophies. Um, and we really started to toy with the idea of, of kind of combining, you know, three, four and, and four, two, five principles. Uh, and so eventually, you know, as that time passed, I, I became, you know, a coordinator there and, and we were able to kind of start putting, putting some stuff into actual fruition and, and, and trying to, trying to build a, a defense that was very versatile. So I say all that to say that, you know, our, our three, you know, I, I like the three, four and I like our, our type of three, four because it allows us to be aggressive, uh, and it allows us to be flexible, um, while also being able to disguise and stem pre, pre snap from a schematic standpoint. I just really like the idea of having great leverage on the perimeter with, with outside linebackers and, and, and staying in a too high shell with our safeties. Being a being a defensive back guy and being a you know that's kind of my background. Um, I, I really like two high coverages, um, and so that's that's kind of the starting point um, of our three four system. Yeah, and and you've already um, hit on it, but we are I think one of the unique things about our defense here is, is we are very multiple. Uh, you know, from any given week, based on you know who we're playing that week, we could be. Uh, in three down, in four down, you know, we could be in a, a three three stack. We could be, you know, really more of a four four look or even a four two five look, just kind of depending on what we're getting that week. Uh, and I always the the age old question, and I think the thing that keeps people from branching out and, and wanting to be multiple, is because you know the uh, the issue with fits and terminology and responsibilities and all those things changing uh, once you change the look of your front. So. Talk about how how we were able to uh, to do that to to be be so multiple, but keep those things consistent and the same where uh, our kids are still able to play fast and and be confident in what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's always there's always a balancing act um, of of you know toeing that line of of what is what is enough and and what is too much. And so I heard I actually heard Coach Darby uh, talk about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on your podcast of at TCU they teach concepts and I kind of chuckled to myself when, when he said that because when I was going through this process of, um, of of trying to build you know this defense or we were at, at Byron Nelson you know one of the guys that I looked at a lot was um, Coach Patterson uh, and, and and what they did um, in the 425 and, and one of the things that, that caught my eye uh, well there were two things but one, one of them was uh, how they taught things in concepts. Uh, and that was something that we were already kind of doing, but we didn't really know what we, that we were doing it. Uh, and so we kind of took that idea and, and we and we ran with it. So when we start teaching um, our concepts and you, you could you could you could say console, concepts uh, slash techniques, those are those are things that are going to be universal across uh, all our defensive calls, all our fits, and, and all our coverages. Um, and so what I mean by that, if, if I give you a tangible example, um, if, if you take our four tech, um, we're, we're, we, we play shade. So we, we play a five, a shade, a four. Um, and, uh, and so if you take our four side, 
when we start off in the spring, the first thing that we're going to teach them is, is a two gap technique. Um, and then the second thing we're going to teach them is, is how to play a B gap technique. Uh, at the same time that we're, we're teaching uh, him those, those two techniques, we're teaching our inside linebacker and our outside linebacker how to fit off a two gap four tech. And then we're teaching them how to fit off or both of them how to fit off a B gap four technique. Um, and then we can take those two things and now we can apply them to uh, three down and then we can apply them to four down. Uh, and, it, and it works the same way with our nose. The first thing that we teach our nose is a shade. Then the second thing we teach our nose is a two gap technique. And as we're teaching those things, um, we're teaching our backers, you know, how to fit off those, those two techniques. Um, and then you start tying that to our call structure. Um, you um, Now, um, when you tie it all together, what we call weak and strong can become a three, four, a four, two, a four, three, a four, four, or a three, three stack based on the tag that we call with it. So within our call structure, we're, we're going to call up front and then we're going to call a tag. And a tag is really the key uh, that allows the players. That's, that, that's the key for the conceptual idea of the defense. It allows them to know what they're doing, where they're going to line and, and what techniques they're going to play. And then it's just a simple game of exchanging um, players to fulfill different roles. So, you know, we want our uh, inside backer, for example, um, to be a curl to flat player and our outside backer to be a leverage player. Um, then we can do that. Or if we want our inside backer to be a fourth rusher and a contained rusher and our outside linebacker to be a curl flat player, we can do that. And it's just as simple as changing a tag. Right, right. Yeah, and we'll talk about those tags here in a second. Uh, but one thing that we do here that I think is also unique is that we don't necessarily make a strength call. We have strength rules, but we don't we don't make a strength call. Like our linebackers or safeties aren't making a strength call, but we make a call to declare where we want our four-tech to be lined up. Uh, and so when we do that, talk about what that allows us to do. Yeah, well, um, so the first the, – the, the process of it is everyone has to learn the strength rules. Right. So day one, you know, we're, we're going through our strength rules and and from time to time, our, our strength rules will, will, will change based on, you know, game plan or offense right. or what have you. Um, so everyone understands the strength rules. And so when we when we make a front call, we're really just declaring our front to an indicator. It could be the strength of the formation. It could be to the weak side of the formation. It could be to a tight end. It could be a, away from a tight end. It could be to a back, away from a back. So that not giving a strength call, not getting lined up on necessarily per se to the strength or away from the strength gives us the ability um, to to be a lot more flexible in how we line up to offenses. Uh, and then it also um, allows, uh, if you like, you don't have to, but it allows you to, 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 to more specialize uh, certain players in your personnel and, and try to help them um, be uh, be in the right position to make play. So what I mean by that is like at Byron Nelson, you know, we had a D1 uh, five technique. He was a defensive end. He was really a four, three defensive end. And um, if I had it all to do over again, I probably would have changed some things, some things structurally to help him. But he, there was, he was not a four. Um, and so, but we did have a true four technique, a, a, you know, a big, you know, kind of strong kid, 
um, that was really good at punching and really good at reading and really good at ripping through B gap. Um, and so because we, we set the front, um, we set the defense based on the four, uh, and indicators, we were able to flip them. So we didn't, if we never wanted, uh, Brandon was his name to be a four technique, he never had to be. So we could kind of specialize our personnel based on their strengths. Um, and then, you know, here, you know, with our defense alignment, it, it doesn't really matter as much. So, you know, both of our ends can play a four, uh, and both of them can play a five. So, um, I think it helps you, um, be more versatile. And then I, I think it also helps you with your personnel. If you, if you have some strengths and you have some weaknesses and, and you want to try to emphasize, uh, your kids strengths, it'll, it allows you to do that. And you can do that at every level. You can do that with the linebackers as well you can have a four side linebacker and a, and a five side linebacker you can have a four side outside backer and a five side outside backer and so it just allows you um again the key word is, is, is flexibility within your scheme to get your players in, in a position to be successful yeah i i i think uh also what it allows us to do is to dictate to the offense instead of the offense dictate to us Right, because we do have players. Yeah. We do have players that uh, you know we're fortunate enough to have guys that offenses have to make specific game plans with how they're going to block that guy, and and so when we're not tied to their strength and putting that kid on a certain strength call or whatever, then it makes it really hard for them to to decide where that kid's going to line up. Instead, we get to decide that, and and Absolutely. I think that's I think Absolutely. that's one. And you know that that's a big that's a big deal, and it's a good you know we. You know, you and I probably we've coached a long, long enough to know that a lot of times, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, ways to to, to maybe hide a, a certain guy. Um, and, and you know, when today, you know, at PG, man, we're blessed to have some some really good players, and so now we kind of use it we use it as a way way to attack offenses. Right, right. So I can hear uh, guys listening to this right now who who do know the guys that we have. And, and they're probably rolling their eyes and like, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool that y'all can do that. Y'all got all those guys over there, and 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 good for you. Uh, but what you know, what about me over here with just these average high school players? But I don't think what we're talking about is strictly based on the fact that do you have D1 kids or not. You know, it's kind of like what you talked about with Byron with your Byron Nelson kids. You know, it's just about putting your guys in the best situation where they can be successful. And, and so this. And you, I'll let you just kind of, kind of elaborate on this. But this isn't necessarily something that you have to have D1 kids in order to be this flexible, right? No, and and it's quite the contrary. This this system was kind of developed without D1 kids. I mean, we we had great kids at Byron Nelson, and uh, man, they were they were awesome. Like they, there's a couple of those guys that can marry my daughter, but we weren't blessed with a lot of D1 talent. Uh, and so, you know, as as this as this system was kind of evolving. At Byron Nelson, it was it was it was evolving to try to help us put kids in, in the best possible position to be successful. And I'm a big believer in, in whatever kids you have, you got to play to their strengths. Uh, whether you have D1 uh, defense alignment or you have um, you know six foot, two hundred pound uh, defense alignment, you got to find you got to find ways to to get them successful. And so the name of the game is is not the system that you run. Um, it's it's figuring out ways to incorporate avenues within your system to get your kids to be successful. And I think I can look back on all the years that, you know, on any defense that I've run it, and no defense has ever been the same from year to year because we have different kids within that system. 
And so we're going to constantly try to adjust things to help them um, to be successful and to help help the defense be successful. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you, you mentioned this earlier, and, and I want to talk about it now. But you know, uh, out here in East Texas, as you mentioned, we 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 do see a ton of offensive personnel groupings, which was which was really eye opening for me. Uh, I remember you telling me that when I first got here, and and then actually seeing it and and watching that. It's really um, man, it's it makes it it makes it tough uh, to get your your correct personnel out on the field, and, and so. Uh, talk about how we adjust to those personnel groupings within the structure of our defense and, and why it's so important to do that. Well, let me tell you, when I when I came out here, you know, in DFW, you would get maybe one or two teams a year that were like that. Their their deal was to personnel you to death, and with with, with personnel, different personnel groupings comes formations, and so they're going to get in a million different formations. A, a team that comes to mind is Denton Gyro, and those guys. They will formation you to death, and they will per- personnel you to death, and 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 so that was maybe once or twice a year uh, up in DFW. Every other week it was going to be ten, maybe eleven. And you're going to get some zone stretch, RPO stuff. Um, but the, coming out here last year, I had no idea. It was it was every week. I mean, it was every week. It was just personnel, 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 formations, 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 motions, 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 and and um, you know the. Like I said earlier, there's a there's a lot of good coaches out here, um, and and they they just attack it a, a different way, and and there's a lot more gap scheme out here. Um, there's a lot more uh, play action vertical pass game, um, and so it it challenges you cha- challenges you uh, as a defensive coach. And there there's been a lot a lot of sleepless nights spent going through, um, you know, crossing every T and dotting every I. Um, to make sure that you're you're lined up soundly and that your your fits are right and your coverages are right, um, and and they'll 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 press you, they'll challenge you uh, mentally uh, for sure as a coach, and and then your kids have got to, you know, you can get you can get them lined up as a coach, but they got it. They're the ones on Friday night they got to get lined up, and so um, that's a process uh, within itself just to, to make sure that they're good. Um, on our on our different formations and adjustments and, and all that. Um, you know, one, one way that we really try to combat the, the personnel groupings, uh, and this is something I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, is that we're going to use uh, different personnel groupings to, to neutralize that advantage. Uh, we're not going to allow an offense to sub, you know, for example, a tight end or a fullback in the game. And, and, and go to a 21 personnel or a 22 personnel uh, grouping and, and run the ball at us and, and we're sitting there in a, in a base three four um, personnel grouping. And so uh, we're going to utilize um, personnel groupings, different ones. Um, you know and I, I think that gives defensively it gives you three major advantages. Um, number one, it gives more athletes opportunities uh, to contribute to the defensive side of the ball. It gets more more guys involved. Uh, number two, um, it, you can utilize the most appropriate defensive personnel in critical situations. Uh, a lot of times um, when you see personnel changes, um, it's going to be in those critical situations, whether it be a third down or, you know, a red zone type situation. So you want to make sure you have your your best person on the field. And then number three, um, and, and this probably is really where it all starts, you, you, you can use utilize run personnel and, and run situations and pass personnel and passing situations. Um, and so we don't ever want to allow an offense to, to dictate the rules of the game um, and not be able to match 
their 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 personnel. Um, and I think um, you you try to again it, it goes back to your players. You want to put them in positions to make plays. You don't if if, if a team's going to line up in a twelve personnel formation, you don't necessarily want your hundred and fifty pound outside linebacker having to leverage you know power. So we're we're going to try not to allow that to happen if we can help it. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, you know as you mentioned. You know, knowing that, knowing that we're, we're seeing all these different personnel groupings each week, you know, really for any defense to be successful out here, I think that you have to have the ability to be multiple and to, you know, within the structure of your defense, you know, I'm not saying you, you know, you play a different, you know, flavor of the week defense every week and you're, you know, totally reinventing yourself every week, but you have to have some sort of basis to stem from, but that within your structure, you have to have that ability to where you can be multiple and match personnel groupings and, 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 be able to, to sub when the offense is offense subs. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at, at, at definitely a long night for your defense. There's no doubt. And, and it's funny, I was looking, you know, this week we're, we're, it's our open week. And so I've been doing a lot of self scout stuff. And this morning I was going through um, our top, you know, fronts and um, our top front, we, we run out of three different personnel groupings. And so that's one thing that we, I try really, I make a, very uh, conscious effort to make sure that we're not changing the game for our kids. When we we move from different personnel groupings, again, it goes back to things that they've done before. You know that that two technique that we taught, or that two gap technique we taught to the four. You know we can take that same technique and apply it to you know a guy playing on top of a tight end, for example. Right. Um. And 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 so we don't. Again, we're not. Ex- we're not making our kids, you know, learn more or, or throwing a, a curveball at them. What we're doing them is is putting them in positions that they've been doing since day one, right. uh, and and we build progressively uh, over the course of the spring, the summer, and, and the season uh, to get to the point where we're at now. Where I think we run seven or eight different personnel personnel groupings uh, defensively throughout this year. Yeah, and and I think that. Uh... It's, it's really a bigger deal for us as coaches. You know, it means more to us that, that we're getting those different groupings. as a, Like, the kids don't know, right? Like, no, you know, no. you ask your linebackers, you know, hey, what have we played more this year, 3-4 or 4-2-5? I mean, they don't know. You know, they just know their little one-eleventh of their responsibility or their job. And so I think sometimes we think that we're going to be putting too much on the kids when really, again, when it's done, when we, when we keep everything consistent and when everything's done within the framework – uh, of your defense, and like you said, you you teach your defense and concepts, then it's not even a deal to them. Like they don't even know. All they know is, okay, I'm off on this situation, and and so and so is on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I just look at you know, like inside linebacker, they they don't know. I mean, they know. Like some of the smarter ones do know, um, but some of the ones that don't really have a broad understanding of the defense, all they know is the call. They don't really even know what's in front of them. They know that the call tells them that I'm doing X on this. And it could be if we're in base defense or, 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 or a jet defense or a dom defense. They don't know. and But they learned it. They learned all of it, you know, out of our base defensive structure. Um, and so then, you know, as coaches, it makes us easy um, to plug in different, different pieces where we want and, and keep it within, within the framework that the kids already know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let, let's move into uh, talking about game planning. Uh, you know, we um, 
every every coach is different, every program is different, and how they go about doing that. So, walk us through our process here of how we break down an opponent and how we game plan each week. Yeah, um, you know, our our game planning. I'm I'm very probably super over the top anal um, about that stuff, and but you know, our goal is to to basically deconstruct an offense and then reverse engineer it. Um, and so I, I want to understand, you know, what an offense is, is doing, what, what their what their goals are, what their objectives are, so I can try to figure out how they're going to attack us and, and how we can attack them. And so with our breakdown, you know, just over the years through trial and error, you know, we, we kind of have a system, kind of a process that we go through, and it starts with personnel groupings. Uh, the, fir- the first thing that, you know, we're going to look at uh, are the personnel groupings um, you know, are what are, what formations are they running out of eleven? What formations are they running out of ten? What formations are they running out of twenty-one? Um, and then from there, we're going to move to the actual formations and motions breakdown. So, um, if it is a personnel team, or if it's not a personnel team, we'll skip the personnel step and go straight to the formations and motions. So, we're going to start looking at formations and and what they're running out of their formations and how they're motioning. Um, then, then the next step is we're going to look at the run game, you know, and try to figure out, all right, what are, are they a gap scheme? Are they a zone team? Uh, what are, what are their rules? How are they going to block us? Um, et cetera. Um, and then we're at, at the same time, we're, we're also looking at the pass game. We, we do kind of start with the run game because we're going to stop the run first. Um, and so I think when we're deciding on fronts and, and, and that, that, that's the first thing that we consider, but you know, the pass game is also, um, something that, that, that we look at a lot when we're trying to decide what we're going to do. And then the, the last thing is we're going to look at critical situations. We're going to look at third down. We're going to look at red zone. We're going to look at, you know, first play of drive, um, all those things. Um, and then after we look at all that, then you know, we're going to start building our, our defensive plan. And, and the first thing that we're going to start with when we do that is, is our personnel. What is our best personnel? It may be that we're going to run one personnel grouping that week, but what, where, how do we put our kids in the right uh, combination for them to be successful? Do we want this end playing on the left or the right? Do we want this inside backer playing here or there? Do we want the outside backers playing? Where do we want our safeties? Um, and then if it is personnel groupings, all right, how can we get our best – best guys on the field to stop, you know, whatever it is they're trying to do to us. Um, from there, um, we're, we're going to look at our fronts uh, and our coverages. What are our best coverage or fronts? How are we going to stop the run? Um, you know, what are, what are our coverages uh, going to be behind it? And then the last thing that we usually look at are our, our stunts and our, our pressures. Um, and, you know, as we go through that, go through that process, um, you know, we're, we're, I, a lot of times will go through and I'm going to draw up every front and every coverage to every formation that they run just to make sure, um, that we didn't miss anything. And, and just to make sure that, uh, we have all our, our bases covered. Um, and then with, within that whole, while that whole process is kind of, I guess, really, that's kind of the end point, the, the starting point is every coach kind of has certain responsibilities uh, that pertain to their ex- expertise, you know. Um, so, for example, let's say we have a defensive line coach who, who shall re- rename, uh, remain nameless, hey. you know. His responsibility is to, you know, everyone has a, a video uh, res- a, a video responsibility where they're going to tag certain things within 
the breakdown. And so his, his responsibility would be to attack formation, uh, ball carrier, and, and target. Um, then he's going to look at pass pro. He's going to give do a, a pass pro breakdown uh, and report. And within that, he's going to look at um, their pass pro. He's going to look at their personnel. He's going to look for any weaknesses, any strengths within their pass pro stuff. Then he's going to – every coach has a, a tendency that they're going to look at. And so our D-line coach, you know, he's going to be looking at short, short yardage situations. So he's going to look at second short, third and short, fourth and short. Um, and then the last thing that he's going to do is look at uh, possible, you know, stunts and pressures uh, that we can utilize that week. And so the whole goal for the process um, is because, you know, the way that we the way that we game plan, I think just game planning in general um, is, is a pretty tedious process. And so my, my goal uh, for our coaches is to make it as, as efficient and productive as possible, because I've sat in you know in meeting rooms where it was inefficient and it was unproductive and it we wasted a lot of time and so um because of that i don't want to waste time everyone has you know responsibilities outside of football and families wives kids that they want to go home and see and so we want to be as tedious and as detail-oriented as possible uh, while also being efficient and productive with our time and so we actually don't spend a lot of time meeting we actually might need to spend more time meeting but you know, on on Saturday, everyone kind of breaks apart and they go they go do whatever it is. You know, their five or six uh, responsibilities within the breakdown. Once we finish the breakdown, we uh, we're done for the day. We'll come back on Saturday and then we'll we'll meet and that'll be the last thing that we do is is meet. And so then everyone will come together and and kind of put their two cents in. Um, on the areas they cover and and then we'll we'll go through the game planning process and by that time on on Sunday I'll have an idea of the direction that we want to go and I'll you know probably talk to you and you know talk to our DB coach and the other coaches like all right what are we thinking what do you think and then I'll kind of try to work ahead a little bit draw stuff up look at you know different fronts and coverages to to their formations so when we get when we all come together you know, it can be as streamlined as possible because, um, you know, some of the most, in a, the, actually the most inefficient way to work is in a meeting setting, you know, where you, you where you have a lot of people um, not doing a whole lot. And so I want to get in there. I want to get everyone's opinion. I want to go through it together because uh, our, you know, five, six minds are better than one. I want to make sure we're on the same page. And then I, w- I want to get out of there um, so we can go home and, and enjoy our family. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's uh, move on to uh, our our Friday night responsibilities. You know, and this is you know every every staff has these, uh, so we're not necessarily unique in that. Uh, but l- let's talk about that because then that's going to lead me to a, a follow up question that I want to ask you. So just break down Friday night responsibilities and really how you came up with you know everybody's you know individual role or, or what what you want done on, on on the sideline and in the box Friday night. Well, um, you know, our, our, my, my objective, you know, for us is, you know, as a staff on Friday night, is just to gather as much information, much as pertinent information as possible and, and, and piece it all together into a realistic, as, into as a realistic perspective as you can get. You know, Friday night can be hectic and crazy. And, um, and so what I want to do is make sure um, that we, we gather that information like puzzle pieces and then put it together so I can, we all can get a clear picture of what's going on. And so to do that, you know, every coach has very specific 
things that they're doing within a Friday night. And, and my biggest thing and, and, the, and the reason like I kind of have this this structure is because I've been, you know, been there where we didn't. And, you know, you have guys that are just spectators and they're just watching the game. Well, on a Friday night, you can't just be a spectator. You, you got to be looking for certain things. Um, and so that we don't miss anything, whether it's alignments or fits or, or what have you. And so we have procedures, you know, that we follow as far as pre-snap, how we're going to communicate post-snap, how we're going to communicate. And then, you know, in the in the series, um, procedures. And then, you know, every coach is basically how it's kind of balanced out. Like every coach will have uh, a counterpart. So if you're a coach on the field, um, you have a counterpart in the box. And so if you're a coach on the field, let's say you, for example, you're going to be watching near side run fits. Well, because you're on the field, you can see near side run fits very effectively and you're, you're still able to watch your guys. Um, then your counterpart in the box will be watching the far side fits. Uh, and so that way we can put, you know, the pitcher together at the end of the series. Um, we also have a coach that scripts the offense who's in the box. So he's in the box, he's scripting, you know, the offensive formation, play, et cetera. And then we have one on the sideline scripting the defense at the same time. And so with all that, you know, we're trying to gather, gather that information, gather that information like a net and just net it all together. Uh, and then, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's the offense trying to do? How are they trying to attack us? How are they trying to handle this? And like for me at the bottom of my call sheet, I'm going to have questions going into the game. Like, how are they blocking this guy? How, how are we holding up in this area? How are they attacking us in this situation? And so those are the type, that's the type of information that I'm trying to gather um, uh, as we move through the game um, and, and trying to get as clear a picture as possible. Yeah. So, you know, we get all that information and I, and I, this is the question that, that I wanted to, to lead up to because uh, one thing I've noticed that you do is, is something that I think is unique and I don't know how many people actually do it, but you know, having all that information at your disposal is great, but it's really, you know, what are you doing with it and how are you using it to help you be effective and, and call the game, you know, right there in the moment in the game. So talk about what you do with all that information that you're getting from us as, as assistant coaches. Sure. So, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a data driven guy, you know, I'm very kind of analytical, I guess you could say, but I also think the best, the best play callers call from the gut. And, and so what I'm trying to do is, is, is get a picture of what they're doing. So, um, you know, what, what are they running? Um, when are they running it? How are they running it? And then, you know, trying to answer some questions, you know, what are, what are they doing to this guy? How are they attacking us? And so I'm trying to get a picture in my mind, uh, of what they're trying to do as, and then I'm also taking the information that you feel just from the rhythm of the game and, and, and trying to trying to combine the two just so I can be in tune and in rhythm um, uh, of calling the game. And it's it actually starts before the game. So one thing that I do that's, that's I don't know, it's kind of quirky, I guess, but I'll, on Fridays I'll actually go through a video and I'll just look at the top of the screen and I'll say, first and 10 minus 20 doubles that, you know, and, and I'll just look at that because by that point, if I look at the actual video, I'll, I'll probably know what plays fixing to come and I'll just, I'll just call defenses and then run the video or I'll get a coach in the office just to call it out to me. And I'll just look at the call sheet um, and, and call defenses. And so all of that, you know, all of that being said is just trying to get a, a realistic picture of what's going on because some of the, some of the worst feeling that you can have, uh, as a coach 
is to go back on on Saturday and look at something and be like, I missed it. And it, and if I would have caught that, would the outcome have been different? Yeah. And and, and so I'm just we're just trying to cast a large net to make sure that we're we're not missing anything. Yeah. And and, and one thing that I that I like that you do is, and and I kind of picked up uh, on this from you and and have sort of uh, taken it up myself, probably not to the extent that you do, but, you know, you always have your little notepad in your pocket, even at practice. And so when you come across things, you know, you'll, you'll pull that thing out and, and make some notes. And, uh, and so then that you also have that with you on Friday night as well. And, and, and after, you know, each series you're getting, um, you know, getting kind of the series wrap up or the series rundown from, from a coach in the box and, and, and jotting some things down so that, you know, it doesn't take you till halftime to figure out, uh, what's going on and to make those adjustments. And like you said, you know, you don't run the risk of, oh man, if I would have just caught that, you know, then you can address those things now and, and have a clearer picture of what's going on. Because again, sometimes watching the game from the sideline, you have a very limited perspective of, of what's actually happening out there. Sure. So, you know, after every series, I'm taking the, the defensive script and then I'm, I'm, I'm adding uh, the offensive plays from the, from the box onto that script and then I'm going through it, you know, and that, and that refreshes my memory uh, on what's going on. And then, you know, really helps me create that picture in my mind of, of, of what's going on. Because, you know, when you get in the heat of the moment, um, you know, you, 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 you may think of something and then it leaves you because you're, you're moving on to the next player, then, you know, whatever happens. Uh, and then you, you go back and you're like, Oh yeah, I need to, I need to address that or we need to change that or we need to do this or we need to do that. Um, and then the, it's the same, it's the same idea with a notepad. I, I carry a little notepad around with me. Um, and even during the games, like in between, in between plays, there may be something I see and I just write it down real quick, put it back in my pocket. Um, so I remember, and, you know, as the game or the practice for that matter, as it, you know, as it goes through, I have a list of things, a laundry list of things, um, that I can, you know, either be trying to fix between series or I can try to address with the team at halftime or, or after a practice, um, so to speak. And it's just one of those things, you know, I don't have a, a photographic memory, so I, it's always good to have reference, uh, a frame of reference uh, in front of you. And so I just kind of picked up that trick. I don't even really know how I, why or how it even came came about, but I just started doing it and it's it's it's, it's, it's been a really useful tool for me. Yeah, for sure, and I think uh, this is a question we actually put up uh, on our on, on this podcast Twitter page, um, even back in the spring. You know, what are what are some things that every good coach has on them at all times? And <laughs> and one of my things was definitely a pen, and uh, I, I think every coach has to have a pen. And and one thing I should have added, and and I would add now is is something to write on. You know, uh, usually, and, and then when I saw that you had your little notepad, I was like, oh man, I've been scribbling on my script, my off, my, my my practice script for forever and you know a lot of times then that gets thrown in the trash and at least having that little notebook you can go back and look and and uh so that's definitely one of those things that that uh i like and 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 have picked up on from you and i think it definitely keeps things straight in your mind amidst all the chaos you know that's happening on a friday night sure and there, there's one thing i will disagree with you about you gotta have a pencil see i, I carry a pencil <laughs> not, not a pen because yeah, I, I make right. a lot of mistakes so i yeah. gotta have that originally. yeah i forgot yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, you're. I mean, that's fine. You're still wrong. But yeah, you know, uh, that's that's cool. Oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's let's do this. We're uh, coming up on, on close to an hour, and and um, 
you know, we obviously we, we both have to uh, have, have places to be. Actually, the same place to be uh, here in a little bit. So let's uh, let's wrap this up with a few. Um, you know, with a few wrap-up questions, you know, uh, you kind of have gotten the reputation around the field house uh, to be a little bit of a, and I, and I, I think this is this is an okay term to use, but a barbecue snob, right? Um, sure. And and so in your travels across the state, uh, what would you say, in your opinion, is the best barbecue in the state of Texas? Well, you know, barbecue is is, is kind of like you know bands or or uh, you know movies. It's hard to say you know, what your, your all time favorite is, you know, because there's so many good ones, but I, I would say the top three, uh, for me or the, yeah, the top three would probably be, um, Louis Mueller's. Um, there's a place in Austin. It's, it's a food truck. It's my wife's favorite for sure. And it's called La Barbecue. It, it's really good. Uh, and then of course, of course, Franklin's is, is, is good. And the thing I like about barbecue is there's, there's there's differences and and everyone kind of has their own deal like louis mueller's their 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 beef ribs are just phenomenal um and what barbecue they have really 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 good brisket um franklin's has really good brisket but then they're all their barbecues really good um so i'd have to say those are, those are my top three but there's a lot of a lot of good barbecue you know Naaman's out here in, in texarkana is a, a really good spot as well yeah, I was gonna throw Naaman's in there if, if for nothing else because maybe they'll uh, they'll hear this and and throw us some uh, some brisket on a Saturday when we're in there breaking down film or something. Um, yeah, uh, it, it is. It's hard to to come to a uh, uh, an agreement on barbecue because everybody likes different things. You know, whether it's a sauce or you know, some people like brisket, some people are more you know pork uh, barbecue fans or whatever. But anyway, okay. So I really can't disagree with you on those because. I think you know, I've tried Franklin's, I believe, in Austin. It's been a while, but the other two places, I'll just have to take your word for it. So, uh, all right. So you have, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you've been in some really big-time places and played in some big-time stadiums and big-time games uh, as a coach. So what would be uh, some of your top high school game experiences as a coach? Sure. Um, you know, th- this year the the Carthage um, PG game was, was unbelievable. Um, you know, our Pleasant Grove – we have a small stadium, but it's kind of bowled in, and man, we we sell it out every week. And there's on the on one side there's a there's a grassy knoll, and man, that thing was filled up completely, uh, and it was a really really cool atmosphere. Um, the the outcome wasn't what I would have liked, but uh, that was really awesome. It had to be one of the top three. Um, uh, another one would definitely be uh, South Lake Carroll. Um, you know, rivalry against Ulysses Trinity. Um, that is a, that is a crazy atmosphere. I remember rolling up to that game. It was at Carroll and, uh, we, we got to the stadium at probably four thirty, and, and both parking lots were completely full with people tailgating and, and having a good time. And then the stadium was completely sold out. Um, and then of course, you know, I kind of two, two of the same, but the star and, and Frisco is a really awesome venue because it's small and the fans are right on top of you and there's an electric atmosphere and then along with that, just, you know, Cowboy Stadium, state championship is, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing beats that. That's just a, it's almost like a out of outer body experience rolling into that situation with, with, with the atmosphere and the fans and everything's on the line. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, an experience that hopefully we'll get to uh, revisit this year and maybe about six weeks. 
Um, Hopefully with a, with a better outcome. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. With this last question, you know, this is this, your reputation precedes you a little bit on this one. You kind of have gotten the, the reputation as, as maybe a little bit of a superstitious coach. Uh, I don't know if you would call it that, but um, talk to us about maybe some of your, your superstitions, particularly when it comes to, to game day. Yeah, so, I mean, some people will call it superstitious. I, I call it I'm a man of routine, um, and so I have, I have certain routines that I, that I follow, and that, that's pretty much kind of on a, on a daily basis. But on game day especially, I, I don't like to deviate from it a whole lot. So, um, you know, starting at lunch, I will well, actually before lunch back it up, I'll, I'll watch a video um, for about 45 minutes or so, look over some things, and then go to lunch in this order. Um, and after I go to lunch, I go to the – get my clothes for my dry cleaning for the game. Um, then, I, then I will come home for a little bit and, and just relax, watch the end of Colin Cowherd. Um, then go back to the office, um, go to the pep rally or, or go to our team meeting, um, and then, then kind of hang out on the off, around the office and, until it's time to go. And then there's a certain routine that I follow as, as, as the game approaches. But I try to – you know, I, I try to keep keep to that routine. I, it's it's superstition, but then it, it also keeps keeps you busy, keeps your mind busy, um, keeps you kind of moving. It kind of helps the day move along if you if you if you keep yourself moving and you and you kind of have a routine that you can follow. Because some of these games out here can be can be pretty stressful uh, on the build up to it. Yeah, and and uh, it also doesn't help when you have certain offensive coaches coming over and trying to throw you off that routine, knowing that you're trying to follow that and, and trying to <laughs> trying to throw you off of it any way they can. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> well, Clint, I uh, I'm glad we got to do this, and and I'm really glad that you know the guys that listening to this and tuning tuning in got to got to hear what you had to say today, and and I'll uh, have your contact information in the show notes so they can. Uh, give you a shout if they uh, had any questions about the things that we shared today. But thanks so much for um, for I, I know you put a lot of time in preparing for this because that's just how you are, and, and so I appreciate that. And I'm glad we got to do this. No, I appreciate. It. I'm, 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 it was fun to come on and, and talk some football, and I enjoy the podcast. Listen every week, so thanks thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Coach Fuller for sharing with us today. It took a little bit of convincing for him to come on and talk with me, and I've definitely. Glad he did. Make sure you follow Coach Fuller on Twitter at Fuller underscore Clint. Also, to be sure to give Coach Fuller a big hug next time you see him because he didn't mention this in the episode, but he is a huge fan of hugs. So if you ever see him, make sure you come up to him, give him a big full frontal, no side hug, big full frontal hug. He just loves those. (laughs) Our quote of the day comes from uh, Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, and it is, win the war, then fight the war. Well, That'll do it for us today. If you're liking what you're hearing here on KYPD, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us. And with that being said, have a great week. And whether you're still in the hunt for a championship or starting off season this week, always remember, keep your pads down.